We have come to our time of worship, to the preaching of God's Word. Um, we are working through uh, Peter's first letter. Uh, Pastor Jeff has been uh, leading us through that, and we have come to chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 19 this morning. I'll read these verses aloud if you will read them silently with me, and we will begin. Peter writes, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will, be, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father, thank you again so much for your word. Thank you for this time that we can gather and worship you. Lord, as we prayed earlier, I do pray that we will block out any distractions around us. Any thoughts that might be going through our minds about later this evening or next week or things bothering us. Lord, block those out. Remove those. Lord, I pray that you will give us ears to hear, hearts to understand your word. Speak to us now through the preached word, through your servant, Lord. We want to hear from you now. I pray that your word preached will be honoring and glorifying to you. And that we will leave different than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So a constant theme that we have seen throughout the book of 1 Peter is suffering. We've seen it throughout the book. And Peter's writing about suffering well as a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter has presented Jesus as not only our example for suffering well, but also Peter has presented Jesus as us having faith in Jesus as a way that we also can suffer well. So there are three things in this text this morning that I want us to, to look at and see. First, number one, being insulted for Jesus is a blessing. Number two, don't suffer for sin's sake. Don't suffer for sin's sake. And number three, have faith in Jesus in our sufferings. Verse 14 he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here we see Peter said, if you're suffering or if you're insulted for Christ, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Where did Peter learn this? Where did Peter hear this? I would say from Jesus, from our Savior. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are those 
Blessed are you when others revile you or persecute you or utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. How are we blessed? Doesn't sound like a blessing to me. So often we think of suffering as not a blessing. But Peter says here we are blessed because we have the spirit of glory and of God resting on us. Peter takes this verse from Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 where Isaiah says this about the coming Messiah. He says the coming Messiah will have the spirit of God resting upon him. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, when we suffer, we gain all that Jesus has accomplished in his suffering, in his death, and in his resurrection. We have the same spirit of God resting upon us that rested upon Jesus in his life. I love the way the dead Baptist theologian John Gill says about this verse. He says, The glorious Spirit of God, who is glorious in himself, in the perfections of his nature, being possessed of the same glorious divine essence with the Father and the Son, rests on them, which denotes his inhab- inhabitation in them and his abiding with them and remaining in them, and which appears by the comfort they enjoy in their souls amidst of the reproaches and revilings of men, and by the strength which they have to endure shame and persecution for the sake of Christ, and which casts an honor upon them and makes them both glorious and cheerful. We are blessed. Why? Because we have God the Holy Spirit abiding in us and dwelling with us. God is with us. God is in us. God is for us. Then who can be against us? That is a blessing. And what a blessing it is. Matter of fact, there is no other way God could bless us any more than sending his spirit to indwell us. Nothing else he could give us would bless us more than himself. Giving us more of himself. I love the words there, the spirit of glory. The spirit of glory and of God. The glory of God rests upon us. What do you think about when you think of the glory of God? So often we think of the glory of God. I think back to the Old Testament. Think back to even when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law. The other people, what they could not even come near the mountain or touch the mountain. Why? The glory of God was on that mountain and they would die. Think of Exodus 33 when Moses asked God to show me your glory. And what did God say? You can't see my glory and live. So I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by you. You'll see the backside of me, but you can't see my glory and live. God's majestic glory and his holiness would destroy, would kill. Also think of Moses in the tabernacle. He built the tabernacle in Exodus 40. The tabernacle was built, it was finished, and the cloud covered the tabernacle, tabernacle, and the glory of God dwelled there, so much so that no one could enter the tabernacle 
because the glory of God was there. Or what about in 1 Kings 8 when Solomon builds the temple? After he built the temple, they took the Ark of the Covenant, they put it in the temple. And what happened? The cloud covered the temple. The glory of God filled the temple so much so that they had to leave the temple. I also think of Isaiah in chapter 6. When he sees the glory of God, what does he say? Woe is me. I'm done. I've seen the glory of God. What happens if you see the glory of God? He knew I should be dead now. He says, woe is me. Why? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst people with unclean lips. I should not see this glory. He knew he wasn't supposed to see the glory of God. God's majestic glory. His unfathomable greatness. His perfectness. His righteousness. His total greatness. His holiness. God being totally set apart from us. And perfection. We could keep going on and on about how great and how glorious God is. And how holy he is. But now. The same holy God, his dwelling place is not just in some tent or tabernacle or temple or even a mountain. His dwelling place is in us, his people. He dwells in us. If you're a Christ follower, God is in you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. These men in the Old Testament could not go near the glory of God. But now, through the shed blood of Christ, we have the blessing of the glorious God in us. Again, there's no other way God could bless us any more or any better than dwelling with us and dwelling in us. I think Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory, glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The glory of God rests upon you. He transforms us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is a blessing. That is the greatest blessing we could ever receive from God. That allows us to suffer well because he is with us and in us. Point number two, don't suffer for sin's sake. In verses 15, and I'm going to jump down to 17. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And in verse 17, he says, for it is time, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Don't suffer for sin's sake. If we call ourselves Christians and we do evil and suffer for it, that doesn't bring glory to God. Matter of fact, that blasphemes God. It blasphemes His name. What does R.C. Sproul say? He says sin is what divine treason against God. Sin is evil. As American Christians, do we take sin serious nowadays? In the book of Acts, you see two kinds of suffering. 
if you go through and study the book of Acts, especially in Acts chapter 5. There are two kinds of sufferings. The first kind is for sin's sake. Think of Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You all know the story, right? What happened? They sold a piece of land. They brought the money to Peter and the apostles. And they said, here's what we sold this piece of land for. Here's the money. We're going to donate this money to you. And Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Was the land not yours? And if you sold the land, you could do what you want with it? But yet they sold the land, and they said, we sold it for this amount, when they actually sold it for this amount. Keeping back some of the money. They could have kept back all the money. They could have said, we, we sold it for this much, but we're going to keep this much. But instead they lied to the Holy Spirit and said, we sold it for this amount, and this is what we're giving. And what happened to them? Death. Ananias died. Later on, his wife comes in. Peter asks, how much did you sell that land for? Oh, we sold it for this amount. Why did you two get together and lie to God? Now you'll be buried where your husband is. And she fell down and breathed her last. Sin. One sin. One lie. Death. Do we fear death when we're about to lie? What about if we meddle in someone else's business? Wait, I'm meddling now, right? What about if we steal something or hate someone? Do we not deserve death? We sin against a holy and righteous God? So if you steal from your employer and you get fired, that's not suffering for the Lord. That's suffering for sin's sake. Every time we sin, we deserve death. Every time. If we think about that way, think about how amazing God's grace and mercy is. Every time God's wrath should be poured out upon us. So as Christians, we need to be killing sin in our life. We need to be cutting it off. As a flesh, we need to be cutting off the circulation, letting gangrene set and let it fall off. Kill it. Because if not, it will come back. Every time I think of a hackberry tree I had growing beside my house. You ever had hackberry trees? For one, they're not very pretty. They have a lot of sap that falls off of them. The leaves are no good, and they grow everywhere. I had a hackberry tree growing up beside my house. I cut it down, so this thing's trash. Got rid of it. Next year, come back out there. That thing's bigger than it was. So what happened? Come right back, and not only did it come back, it's bigger. So I chop it down again, and I get down on the roots this time, and I'm cutting it. I'm working. I don't think I got it this time. Covered dirt back over it. Good to go. Next year, come back. That thing is there again. Bigger than it was. So, man, I can't kill this thing. So you can ask Mary, I got an axe. And I went out there and I went to work. I cut the ground up. I cut everything I could do. I cut it all up. Then you know what I did? I poured diesel all over it. 
I'm going to kill it. Then I put rocks and put rocks all on top of it. It hadn't come back. I killed it. But it took work. If we don't kill it, that sin will come back bigger and stronger than it was before. We've got to kill it. We've got to cut it off at the root. We've got to get rid of it. And how do we do that? We only can kill sin through, again, the shed blood of Christ. The gospel is not just for those who are lost. The gospel is for us. The gospel is for Christians. The blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from our sin. We run to the fountain in repentance and ask God to cleanse us, to take away our sin, to give us your righteousness constantly. That should be our life. Run to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Again, it should be a part of our daily life. We also see in verse 17 that the judgment begins with the household of God. Not in the world, but here in the church. Where was Ananias and Sapphira? In the church. Peter was there. Peter saw this. God will purge his church. He does it now. Now, I know a lot of us think it doesn't look like it. We can say God's not purging his church at all, but he is. God is God. He's still on his throne. He's still king of kings, still lord of lords. Nothing's getting by him. Nothing's past him. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's doing and we can trust him in that. But he will purge his church. Also from this event with Ananias and Sapphira, what else happened? Great fear fell among those not only in the church but outside the church. Great fear fell among those. Now, as a side note, at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, if we want to reach this, reach this community with the gospel, the best thing, and we should want to do that, the best thing we can do to reach this town with the gospel is to live holy lives. Live holy lives. Live lives of holiness and repentance. Do you know how much it does to someone when you walk up to them and say, I'm sorry for doing this to you. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for that. This will have a bigger, deeper impact than any, in bottom, than any program or any ministry we can start up. You know what we do? Live holy lives. We need to learn how to take sin seriously again. We need to see again and again how holy God is and how sinful we are. We also need to see that we have a loving Savior who is always willing to forgive us when we sin. Praise God for that. 1 John 1, 9. What if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also see God's judgment is consuming. In verses 17 and 18, the second part of verse 17, he says, What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Here Peter asks two questions. I say they're rhetorical questions, but maybe not. But I think they are. We've already discussed God's judgment, or as one theologian says, God's fury evaluation begins in the church, but it does not end there. 
Okay, the people Peter is writing to are suffering. And they must be thinking, we are the ones suffering, yet we are doing right. These people outside the church, the ones who are persecuting us, living in sin, by the looks of it, they're the ones being blessed. By the world standard. And Peter says, God will take care of that. He says, we are to follow in Christ's footsteps and trust God in his evaluation of the world. Okay, the picture here is that God has begun refining the church and will later move outward to judge the world, those outside the church. But what I want us to see and what we must understand is that the refining fire of God and his judgment leaves no one untouched. None. It will affect all of us. Okay, the difference is Christians are being purified and strengthened by it. Sins are being eliminated. Okay, trusting God and holiness in life are growing for Christians. But those outside the church will be judged in righteousness. Peter quotes Proverbs 11.31 here with the question of if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The righteous here are the ones who are made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ imputed to them. Okay, this is called the great exchange. What we, we come to Jesus with all of our sin, with all of our baggage, with all this wrath, and we bring it to Jesus, and he takes it from us, and he takes it to the cross, and he dies on the cross for it. The Father pours out his wrath on Jesus for our sins, for our baggage, for our trash. Jesus takes it all. But not only that, he gives us, he imputes his righteousness to us. He gives us his greatness, his purity, his holiness. He gives all that to us. And that's how we are made righteous. Praise God that we are his and he is ours. But those who are not his, okay, those who have not put their faith in Jesus, will suffer for their sin. They will pay the penalty in full. They will take upon themselves the full wrath of God. And no one wants that. If you're not a believer today, I ask you to repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust that what he accomplished on the cross, he accomplished for you. Do not delay. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. And last point, point number three, trust God. Have faith in Jesus in our sufferings. I'm going to jump back to verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter says if we suffer for Christ or as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God. Okay, one time I met with a couple in church. I used to pastor who says, who came to, they, they were looking to become members. They came to me and the, the woman says, we need a new name. We need a new name. She said, yeah, Christians is no longer a good name. I said, really? She says, yeah, if I tell some people I'm a Christian, I get mocked for it. I get made fun of for it. And I get looked down upon for it. I said, really? She says, yeah, we need a new name. 
And so as she said that, um, I told her that Christian is, is merely Christ's follower. I took her to this verse and showed her that if we suffer for Christ, that we are to glorify God in that name. If we suffer because of his name, then we glorify God in that name. Peter says that we are to do that. Why? Because he also experienced this. And that's the second type of suffering we see in the book of Acts. Right after Ananias and Sapphira, what happens? Well, the story, right? Peter and the apostles are preaching. The relig- religious leaders get upset with them. They go, they get them, they put them in prison. In the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord comes and tells Peter and the apostles, Hey, get up. Let's go. Get out. Not only that, but he told them, what? Get out and go preach. He said, okay, first thing in the morning, we'll go preach again. Go preach. So they get out. They go preach. The religious leaders wake up in the morning and say, hey, bring those guys to us. They go. They come back and they say, well, the prison's secure. The guards are still in place, but they're not in there. Some other guy walks up and says, oh, I see them. They're out there on the corner preaching again. Well, go get those guys and bring them back. So they go get them, bring them back, and they have a little meeting, a conversation. They're like, oh, I don't know what we need to do with these guys. If we kill them, they might, uh, this Christianity might grow, so we, we really don't want to do that. So we also might be fighting against God here. I don't know what, really what we should do. So they, they bring them in. What do they do to them? They beat them, and they send them away and tell them, don't go preach this gospel again. And Peter and the apostles left there, what? Rejoicing. Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Peter lived this out. He could preach it because he lived it. And praise God for that. Do we rejoice for suffering for the Lord? And in verse 19, we'll close with application. Verse 19, therefore... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And you also, when you always see therefore, what does that mean? What's a therefore? Peter says, trust God. Have faith. Suffering for Christ leads to glory and tastes of glory, but also gives glory to God. When Christians suffer because... They are Christians. God is most glorified. And we are most, we're built up to be more like Christ. Some people's theology can't fathom a God who would allow you to suffer. But Peter's theology is not one of those. Some people's Christianity is not lived out in a way that would bring about any suffering. Some we have what we call closet Christians. Like the couple that I was talking about earlier wanting to join the church. They want to do everything in their power, power not to suffer. And oftentimes it's that way because it's not. Because it's what you win them with is what you win them to. And I believe they didn't understand the gospel. They were told, hey, if you come to Jesus, all your troubles will go away. Your life will be great. Your marriage will be great. Your job will be great. Life will be grand. And that's the opposite of the truth. Some of us get down and depressed. 
when we're mocked or suffer for the name of Christ. But I say to that, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Rejoice in the Lord. And some of us might want to fight back. I see a lot of this on social media. A lot of fighting on social media. Sometimes I say, you know, let's meet face to face and see if you say that. See if you'd say that to that person. <laughs> so I bet you wouldn't. But a lot of people want to fight back when they're persecuted for Christ. Want to crush those who persecute us. Maybe not physically, but even emotionally or mentally. Want to say things back to them that hurt them, that crush them. That's also not our task. As Peter says, and also Paul in Romans, well, that's the Lord's. He says, vengeance is his. Again, we can trust him. Trust the Lord. We are called to be light to the world. If that light, being light to the world, brings suffering, then trust him. If we suffer according to God's will, trust him. Trust that he is a loving father who really, really cares for you and will always do what is best for you. Just because it's best for you doesn't mean you will like it best. doesn't mean he's going to do what you want. He will do what's best for you. That's what a loving father does. When we trust him, and only then can we rejoice in our suffering. Only then can we suffer well. We say we believe that God is sovereign. But often we say this things when things are going well. In our mind, when things are going well worldly. But often we struggle with that when we suffer. As Christians, our judgment day has passed from the future to the past. God's judgment was poured out on his son Jesus on our behalf. He took it all. All we have to look forward to now is God making us more like his son. And guess what? He will do that. He will drag us. He will do whatever it takes necessary to bring us closer to him. And that is good. We trust him. Why? Because as Peter says, he is faithful. We can't trust our faith. But we can trust that he is faithful. When we suffer well, we can suffer well if our faith is in Christ because he is the faithful one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you will draw us closer to your son. That you will... Cut sin from our lives, Lord. And we know sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that brings about suffering. Lord, help us rejoice in that. Help us trust you more. Help us see you for who you are. Holy, righteous God. Help us to see us who we are. Your servants, your slaves, your people. Draw us closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'll take your hymnal and stand, turn to him.